are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Today we will be in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we haven't had the chance to meet, we'd love to be able to meet you after our gathering today. For those of you that are joining us online, welcome as well. I'm looking forward to diving into this text with you this afternoon in Luke chapter 10. Uh, and before we do that, though, I'd love just to, to go to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> God of mercy, we come before you and we just want to acknowledge, God, that we need you. We need you every moment of every hour of every day as we've heard your word read already, as we've sung and just declaring the fact that you are with us. And God, that we are not self-sufficient. We can't function on our own. We encounter difficulties and challenges all along the way. And we live in the midst of a world that is reeling and is oftentimes expressing its brokenness in all kinds of different ways. And so God, as we come before you this, this afternoon, as we come before you and open up your word, we pray and ask that your spirit would work in and through this time. God, even as we talk about topics and issues in our culture and in our world that oftentimes are really hard to talk about or difficult, are, are filled with emotion and strong feelings, God, I pray that you would calm and quiet our soul before you. God, I pray that you'd help us to be attentive to your spirit in this time, that we, God, would hear from you today, and that where there needs to be conviction in our life, God, would you bring that and help us to receive it. Where there needs to be challenge in our life, God, would you bring that and help us to receive it. Where there needs to be encouragement in our lives, God, would you bring that and help us to receive it. God, I know everyone in this room and 
people we know outside of this room have varied stories and pasts and backgrounds and struggles. God, we acknowledge that today and we pray that you would bring healing even in the midst of this. God, would you heal our wounds and our lives so that like Jesus, we can go and be wounded healers to those around us. Jesus, may you be exalted today in this moment and in this time and in the days ahead as we walk out of this room and engage the world around us. Would you be exalted in our lives and our lifestyles? And we ask for you to do that in this moment now. And we ask that you do it in the power of your spirit. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, sometimes in life, we like to go the extra mile kind of above and beyond, like to excel in whatever it is that we have before us. But other times we like to kind of phone it in, right? Like we want to know, okay, what can I do just to qualify for this counting and keep it at the bare minimum? Like what's going to actually give me credit right now? What's going to count as being sufficient for this? What's the least amount of effort possible that I have to put forward? Now, you can think about something maybe like cleaning your house or cleaning your room. Like what parts do I actually have to dust and what parts can I just ignore because nobody's gonna notice those things? Or maybe there's those moments of where you're like, okay, I'm gonna exercise. Like how much exercise do I really have to do? Like how many reps do I actually have to perform? How many sets do I need to do? How many miles do I need to run? What can I get by with? Or an example that came to mind for me, maybe not one that I've done, but at least have heard of others doing, is in high school or college when you had that 10-page paper due and you figured out how to change the margins, the font, and the spacing to stretch what you had into what you needed. Right? I mean, we have those experiences where we know, man, I can get by. What are the bare minimums for me to get by? And it's commonplace in our lives and culture. But it's not just for those kinds of things. There's oftentimes in our life, as we see in our text today, when it isn't just those small things like cleaning your room or exercise, but can actually affect how we live our lives as disciples in this world, as followers of Jesus in this world. Today, we're going to take a one-week break from our Seeing Jesus sermon series in the Gospel of John, and we're going to jump back into a series that we've done uh, throughout the last year called Life Along the Way. And this is a sermon series where we open up God's Word and we seek to talk about and address very practically different challenges and topics and issues that we encounter as disciples, as followers of Christ, as we live life along the way as we find ourselves in this world, but not of this world. And today, what we're going to talk about is what it means for us and what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus not to do the bare minimum when it comes to loving others, but how do we show exceeding mercy, exceeding mercy to all people for all of life? How do we show mercy to all people for all of life? And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is mercy, like how do we actually understand what that is, and then understand how how do we understand that it's for all people, and then we're going to focus in on a very particular and specific application today. You know, January is an interesting time of year. In the span of one week, two significant dates pass every year. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is just this past Monday, and Sanctity of Life Sunday. Martin Luther King Day is to commemorate and remember 
MLK and all of the things that he did to advance and advocate for civil rights and justice for all people, regardless of skin color or background. And Sanctity of Life Sunday is a time where the church has set aside for the last almost 50 years to remember and grieve the decision that the government made many years ago to federalize the right to get an abortion. Now, I mentioned both of those things today because though they may not appear related initially, they are connected. At least a connection that we need to make as followers of Jesus. The connections that when we root ourselves in our text and the words that we're going to hear Jesus speak to us today could change not only our lives, but the lives of those around us, hopefully for generations to come. Now, like I said, or prayed, I know everyone in this room has a story, has a background. And when it comes to the things that we're going to speak about today, there can be a lot of emotions with that. But the goal of today isn't to beat anyone up. The goal of today is not to tear anyone down. The goal of today is not to judge anyone. It's not to get into an argument about something. The goal of today, as it is every week, as we gather together as God's people, is to enlarge our view of God that we would leave here having our eyes lifted up to see how great our God is. And by doing that, being in this text today, that we'd actually be able to show mercy to a world in need of it. To be kingdom people who care about the things that our king cares about. And so my hope is is that together as we lean in and listen to God's word, we can have the mind of Christ that we can care about what Jesus cares about and we can think like Jesus and we can live and act like him, which means then that we will value life from beginning to end and we'll show that by showing mercy to all people for all of life. So let's jump into Luke chapter 10 and may we heed Jesus's words for us today. Now, if you're familiar with the story and if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard it at least once, if not many times. If you've never been a part of the church before or you've never heard this story, that's okay as well. But it might be interesting to think, okay, I, I, Good Samaritan story, just heard it read. How does that connect with what you said we're going to talk about? Well, hopefully that'll make sense as we walk along in this. In this scene, Jesus is gathered with a group of people as he often is, and he's teaching as he often does. And it says that a lawyer stood up to ask a question, but he didn't just stand up to ask any question just for the sake of getting information. Verse 25 says he stood up to test Jesus, to put Jesus to the test. He's trying to trap him in his teaching. So he gets up to ask this question. Now, a lawyer here in this instance isn't like a lawyer in our world today. He isn't representing a client. He isn't prosecuting a criminal. He is a lawyer because he's an expert in God's law. He knows God's law backward and forward. And here's his question. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, how do I have a relationship with God forever and live forever with him? It's a Fine question, an okay question, a good question that all of us should ask and be able to answer. But Jesus, as he often does, doesn't give this man a straight up answer. He asks a question to him. See, Jesus knows there's more going on in this man's heart than just what his question initially reveals because Jesus knows the heart of humanity. So he draws this man in to address the deeper issue. Jesus says, verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're an expert in the law. You're a lawyer. What what does God's word tell you about this? 
Well, verse 27, the lawyer's response with the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus gives a matter-of-fact response that says, correct, do that. Do these things and you will live. But the lawyer in this moment, you can almost sense a bit of frustration because he was kind of forced to answer his own question. Jesus didn't give him, give him a lot more information, so he presses a bit further. Look at verse 29. But he, meaning the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He thinks he has the love of God part down. He's like, I'm an expert in the law. I know how this goes. Like, I love God with everything that I am. I'm all about that. But, but this neighbor thing, like what counts for that? I need some more specifics, Jesus. Why? Well, the text tells us he wants to justify himself. And that's, those are strong words. It's an indictment on this man. He, he wants to control his ability on his own to have eternal life, to be in relationship with God. He wants to be able to earn something, to earn this relationship with God by his behavior. He's putting on display the heart of humanity. See, he really isn't interested in loving God with every aspect of his being, which would then overflow in loving his neighbor with every part of who he is. What he's interested in is bare minimums. Jesus, what counts? I don't want to have to do more than what I am supposed to do or need to do. What counts? And so Jesus gives this illustration to answer his question and address his heart and in that address our hearts as well. Let me read verses 30 through 35 for us again, and then we'll highlight some of the different elements that this, of this parable, this story that Jesus tells. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now there's a few different details in this story we need to make sure that we get. We have this Jewish man and he's walking on the Jericho road. It's a road that's about 18 miles long that descends from Jerusalem down towards Jericho about 3,000 feet. So it's a long descent down. And it's rocky and it's desolate. There's caves and places all over it. And so it'd be very easy in this spot to be out somewhere halfway on this journey and be totally by yourself. And it's a great place for robbers to hide, for people that want to take advantage of travelers along the way. And so that's what happens to this man. He's traveling and these robbers come and they assault him and they rob him and they take his things and they leave him for half dead. So this man's laying there on the side of the road and then two other characters come into view, these two religious leaders. The first is a priest and he sees him. I like how Jesus points that out. It isn't like he was looking down at his phone 
and just didn't happen to see him. No, he, he saw him before his eyes, yet in that moment, he chose to pass by on the other side of the road. Now, this isn't an eight-lane highway. It's not like he's like, I, I was in the left lane. I couldn't switch over to the right lane to help the person that didn't have, that was on the side of the road. No, this is like a narrow space. He purposefully moved himself to the side to walk by him. A Levite comes along, another religious leader, and does the exact same thing. He sees him, but chooses to pass by him. Now, we don't know why they don't stop. We could speculate, but we don't know why. Jesus doesn't speak to that. But we know that they didn't help this man. But then Jesus drops this bombshell in the story. He says the next person to come along is a Samaritan. And for his Jewish audience, this would have been like, what, wait, what? What's going to happen here? Because see, the Jewish people at this time, they didn't like the Samaritan people. They, they so much didn't like them that instead of passing through the area of Samaria, they would go out of their way to go around it because they didn't want to be near any of these people. They looked down on them. They didn't like them. They in some ways saw them as inferior to them. But the Samaritan comes and he doesn't pass by this man who might not like him. He sees him. And what does Jesus say? He has compassion on him. He has compassion on him. That phrase is so important. He has compassion. It's not a passing sentimental feeling that evokes thoughts and prayers and say, oh, I feel for you. Let me, I have my thoughts and prayers go out to you. No, this is genuine care and concern for this man and his well-being. But he doesn't just feel for him. He seeks to relieve his distress. See, that's what real compassion does. It moves to action. And he does so in a radically generous way. He uses his time and his resources. I mean, he was on a journey himself. He's going somewhere. Yet in that moment, he stops and he goes to this man and he spends time with him and he uses his resources. He binds up his wounds, probably ripping cloths apart to wrap him up. He uses the oil and wine that he has for himself to care for this man. He puts him on top of his animal and goes out of his way now to go to an inn to have him cared for. And he stays there with him to make sure that he's doing okay. And then it says that he goes to the innkeeper and he gives him two denarii. Now, most of us don't know what that is, but thankfully there's a little footnote in most of our Bibles that tell us that is a two days wages. It's two days wages. So let's just think about that. If someone made $100,000 a year, that means he goes in and drops $770 to someone he doesn't know and says, here, take care of him while I'm gone and keep my tab open. Because when I pass back by here later, I'll pay for whatever else this man needs. This Samaritan man shows exceeding love and care and concern for a man who he doesn't know, a man who otherwise would consider him an unclean enemy of his. I mean, even if we just stop right here, this is a pretty astonishing story. Even if we just stop right here, it's challenging in and of itself. But that's not where Jesus stops. Now, Jesus asks this heart question to the lawyer, and in turn to us. Which of these three, verse 36, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Do you see what Jesus did here? He flips the question around. The lawyer said, well, who's my neighbor? Like who counts and who doesn't count? 
But Jesus flips the question around and asks the question really the man should have asked is what kind of neighbor are you? Whose neighbor are you to be? You're thinking about yourself instead of thinking about what counts and what doesn't count. But this man, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. But in some ways I'm thankful for that because he gives us more insight into what's actually going on here. He says, verse 37, simply, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. Man, do you want to know what mercy is? Do you want to know what mercy looks like? We can read this story and see it right before our eyes. This is mercy, motivated by compassion to move towards the other person. This is what loving your neighbor as yourself looks like. Loving people is about showing radical mercy, even to someone you disagree with, even to someone you don't like, even to someone who might hate you. It's for all people, for all of life. See, mercy isn't tied up in some nice, neat bow. It isn't a once in a while activity or a weekend adventure. It certainly isn't convenient or comfortable. Mercy requires movement toward another. It's actionable love that that seeks to help someone in need. Mercy requires movement towards another. It's actionable love. Jesus' call to the lawyer and to us is clear. You go and do likewise. Go, show radical mercy. And Sojourn, I want to heed Jesus' words. I want our church to heed Jesus' words. I want us both as individuals and as a community to be a merciful community to our community, to the people that God puts in our path. Now, I don't think any of us would say, well, I don't know about that. I don't need to show mercy to anybody. Like we could read this and agree with Jesus' words. The problem is what we often want to do is what the lawyer did. We want to know what the bare minimum is. What counts? Where can I stop? But when we do that, we miss Jesus' point. Mercy isn't a box to check in your life. It's a way of life that flows from a changed heart. Now, some of you may be already thinking, okay, I get radical mercy. This man goes out of his way to do all of these things, but there has to be limits on mercy. Like I can't do any, everything for everyone. So what are the limits? Like where, I, I mean, there's gotta be some guardrails for mercy. And perhaps there are limits to mercy. But I think the reality is most of us don't have trouble putting limits on our mercy. Most of us struggle to give it generously and lavishly. I know that can be the case for me, that I want to think, okay, that's probably good enough. I don't need to do much more. But Jesus is just saying, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. See, what we need to realize in our lives is that our love or lack of love, our mercy or our lack of mercy is rooted in our hearts. Those mo- the, where the motivational structure of your life resides, that your will and your emotions and your thoughts and your feelings, all of those things flow out of your heart. And so if we're loving or not loving, if we're showing mercy or not showing mercy, it comes from the place of your heart. So when Jesus says to you, I want you to love God and love others. I want you to love God and love others more than you love yourself. He's telling you to do something that you can't do on your own. Something you can't do by your own 
willpower or personal resolve, something you can't do apart from a transformed heart. And that's what the lawyer got wrong. And it's what he missed and what we can miss as well. See, the lawyer could have recognized this when Jesus said, what must you do to, when he answered the question, what must you do to inherit, inter, inherit eternal life? And said, I can't do that. I can't do this by myself. So what am I supposed to do? But instead, he sought to justify himself. Give me a box to check, Jesus. Give me a box to check. He wanted to create these boxes and parameters that he could meet and he can control. He wanted to earn his way to eternal life instead of seeing life right before him in the person of Jesus. Sojourn, the only way you and I can show radical mercy to all people for all of life is when we understand that we need to experience it first. And if you are in Christ, you already have. Listen to God's word to you from Titus chapter three. God's word to you and about you. Titus, Titus chapter three, verses three through five. Paul writes this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And that doesn't sound good. And we know that's been our experience. We look around the world and we can see that as well in the world around us. But then it says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we could justify ourselves, not because we did enough good things to outweigh the bad things. No, but according to his own mercy, his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, it's not because you figured it out on your own. If you're in Christ, it isn't because you had what it takes. You were an undeserved rebel, yet God, being rich in mercy, lavished his grace on you in and through Jesus. Jesus, who willingly went to a cross to bear all of your sin and all of your shame, to rescue you from that and rescue you from selfishness and make you a new creation in Christ so that now your life and your heart can be transformed and you can show that kind of mercy to other people. If you've placed your faith in Christ, if you've repented of your sins, then this is true for you. And if you haven't, then I implore you to do that. Jesus' arms are open for you to come to himself and see your life saved and transformed. Listen, the love and mercy you've received in and through Jesus informs and empowers the love and mercy you're able to give to others. It must. There's nothing else that will. Now, what does all of that have to do with Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Sanctity of Life Sunday? I'm glad you asked. Listen, sin has jacked up our world. It's not hard for us to see. We see personal sin around us and personal sin leads to broken families and broken systems and broken structures around us. The social problems in our community and in our country at their core are a result of broken relationship with God. Not only a rejection of his loving authority, but also his redeeming grace. And so that's led people to live life for themselves to do things on their own. I and mean, we often like to think that we are the master of our own ship. The problem is, is that we're not capable or qualified to drive the boat. 
And it manifests itself in so many different places in so many different ways. We can see it in the big, large-scale things of, of injustice in our country and in our community, things like racism or sexism. We can see it in areas of addiction and idolatry, broken relationships, broken homes, broken families. It's all over the place, and it's rooted in that rejection of God. But one of the places that we see brokenness and sin collide is in an instance of an unplanned or crisis pregnancy. I mean, think about a situation. There's a woman who finds out that she's pregnant and she and maybe her partner might look at their situation and see it as hopeless with only one solution, terminate the pregnancy. Not necessarily because it's convenient, because it seems like the only option. And since the federalization of abortion in our country, more than 50 million 50 million children have been killed in the womb. That's a mind-boggling number. And church is something that we should grieve. But it's also something we should look at and see it as an opportunity to show mercy, to show radical mercy like we see in our text. And I'm thankful for the pro-life movement but to be honest, sometimes it can be really myopic, too narrowly focused. As the church, as Jesus's people, we need to work towards a whole life movement. Should we wanna see the court decision in Roe versus Wade overturned? Absolutely. But many people wrongly assume that the reversal of Roe versus Wade would make abortion illegal in the United States. It wouldn't. What it would do is simply hand back the legal authority to restrict or allow abortion to the states, to the level of the government of the state. As Russell Moore, president of the ERLC says, the day after Roe will be the beginning of the pro-life movement, not the end of it. That's why we need to advocate and work towards a whole life movement, which means showing mercy to all people for all of life. Now, what do I mean by a, pro, I mean a whole life movement? What do I mean by whole life? I mean valuing all people, all people, all ethnicities, all ages, men and women from the womb to the tomb. So this encapsulates so many topics and so many things and so many people. And I can't get into all of those things today. And maybe I hope to in the future. I'd love to talk about it more with you, but it certainly includes Unborn, unborn little boys and little girls. If you are pro-life, you tend to think about the baby, and you should, but we tend to think only about the baby and not the situation, or the circumstances, or the story of the person carrying the baby. I mean, if we're going to show mercy to all people for all of life, this also includes the moms and the dads who are in crisis. What this means is, is that we shouldn't just work to defend life, but to preserve life. And it shouldn't just be for one subset of people, but for all people, for all of life. See, issues involving mercy, like this one, are not simple. They're complex and they're nuanced. There's lots of different moving parts in it. Instead of just advocating then for laws to change, we should be working to see lives changed. This means as people, 
who have received great mercy, we're called to go and do likewise. We should look at a young woman who's pregnant and in crisis and considering abortion, and instead of just saying, don't do it, ask a question. What's going on here? What's your story? Why does she happen to be in this situation? How does she get here? What is she believing about herself or life right now? How can we help her? Is personal sin at play? Absolutely, as it often is, but that isn't all that's at play. And if we miss that, we miss a lot. That brings us back to the connection with MLK Day. If we think about that day, what's the purpose of it is to remember this man and this movement that sought to bring rights and justice to all people regardless of their skin color. The Sanctity of Life Sunday is valuing of life. See, we have to recognize something. 60% of abortions in our country happen among non-white women. Non-white women. And depending on what statistics you look at, that's challenging and interesting because the makeup of non-white women in the country is somewhere between 24 and 40%. But 60% of abortions happen among non-white women. And there are, the reason for that is there's a societal and structural determinants that are also at play, often connected to historical racial injustices and inequities, a lack of education, a lack of access to good health care, a lack of understanding of, of human value and human life just personally for that woman or for that man, a lack of support, a lack of financial resources. I mean, listen to these two statistics just related to economics. The median wealth of a white household is 18 times that of a Hispanic household and 20 times that of a black household. Think about that and then this statistic, 75% of abortion patients were poor, having an income below the federal federal poverty line, which is $15,000 a year, or in between it being low income, earning fifteen dollars to $30,000 a year. If we don't see the tie of economics in the situations that have gotten people into those places, then we're missing the big picture of what's going on. I mean, if you have a child or you know people with children, you know that having a child, having a baby, having and raising a kid is expensive and it takes time and it takes resources. So if you're already struggling financially, if you don't have a job or don't have one that pays well enough, if you don't have access to childcare or help or access to good health care, all of those things can lead someone in the midst of an unexpected and unplanned pregnancy to look at that situation as hopeless. But if we're going to stand up for all of life, if we're going to be these kind of people who want to show mercy to all people, we need to look at that father or that mother and help them to see that their situation isn't hopeless. We can't just do that with our words. We have to do that with our actions as well. If we're going to be whole life people, we need to, as an act of mercy, care about and work towards the equity of all people if we're going to work towards equity for unborn people. I think it's it's sad and ironic to me that sometimes some Christians will march and advocate and petition for abortion laws to change But if that same young woman actually keeps her baby and then ends up needing things like government assistance or help in providing for her family, those same voices won't seek to show mercy, 
but often heap shame. Brothers and sisters, may it not be so among us. Now, statistically, one out of every four American women will have an abortion in their lifetime. And if that's you, if you've had that as a part of your story and you're feeling shame, we don't want that for you. There is grace for you in Christ. And we want to be a community that doesn't shake our heads at you or point our fingers at you or judge you in any way, shape, or form, but wants to walk with you that God might restore and help you along the way. And if someone who calls himself a Christian has ever shamed you because of that, I'm sorry. It's not okay. The church should be there to say, I want to learn more about what's going on with you and I want to help you. And in Christ, there is forgiveness and grace for you. Listen, church, if we shake our heads and pass by on the other side of the road as we march for life, but won't help the young man or young woman on the side of the road in need for help, we're no better than the priest of the Levite. We must be like the Samaritan. We must show mercy. So what are some practical ways that we can show mercy to all people for all of life as it relates to this specific issue? One of the biggest things that we can do and that we have done as a church and want to continue to encourage you towards is to get involved with a crisis pregnancy center. We've partnered over the last few years with Assist Pregnancy Center. And the reason this is a good place to do this is because that pregnancy center isn't there just to provide medical help, but to come alongside and encourage and help and counsel and listen to stories and work with these moms and work with these dads. So today we have some resources out on the table in the lobby before you go. There's a fundraiser activity that you can do with your family, a little bottle, baby bottle that you can collect resources, money to help assist pregnancy center continue to function. But there's other ways to get involved to be praying, to volunteer, to serve, to be someone who says, I want to help you. How can I help you? Amy Cecil has been involved with that along with Shannon Bastion. So if you have more questions about how to get involved at Assist, you can speak to them. But there's other things we can do as well. We can work in programs that provide job training. We can advocate for health and education. We can seek economic advocacy and work that there really would be equity, that we would see systems and structures that are in place that disadvantage people to help those things to change in our culture and in our world. We can see education work develop where we want to encourage people to stay in school and get their degrees, providing creative ways for childcare and support. A huge one also is to be willing to adopt domestically that we recognize that not everybody's ready to be a mom or be a dad, but would say, well, I will take your son and daughter and I will raise him or her as my own. I would love to do that. We would love to do that. We have to be willing to help. There's probably many other ways that we can do this, get involved in our community, whether it's through the government or nonprofits or just in your own life. But I just wanna encourage us, God, what would you have us do that we might be people who would show mercy to all people for all of life. You know, one day Jesus will return to rule and reign forever and he'll wipe away every tear. He'll crush every disease. He'll destroy every injustice, annihilate every sin and eliminate all brokenness. But until that day, we as God's people are called to go into the world as agents of mercy, mercy and ambassadors of his kingdom. So then church, let's bring King Jesus's kingly blessing to the world and show mercy to all people for all of life until he comes again to make all things new.
Who proved to be a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus says to us now, go and do likewise. As a first response to the preaching of God's word, we're going to take communion together now. And I love that we do this every week and especially on moments like this because this is a meal that refreshes our soul and reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. And we drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. And as you do that today, I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't remain distant. Jesus didn't pass by on the other side of the road. Jesus had compassion that led him to action. He laid down his life for rebels in need of rescue. He showed you mercy. So as you eat and drink today, may you rejoice in the mercy you've received in him and may it compel you to show it to others. And if you don't yet know Christ, we would just ask you not to take communion today because this is a testimony of our faith in Jesus. Instead, I want to invite you to take Christ today. That if you're recognizing that you haven't ever repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, that you would do that even now in this moment. And for those of you that want to learn more about what it means to know him and follow him, we'd love to help you with that. So please come talk to me or to anyone else here. For those of you that will take it, if you haven't already grabbed the elements, they're on the table out in the lobby. And you can eat and drink whenever you feel led to. If you want to spend time in prayer and in repentance, if you want to spend time giving thanks to the mercy God has given you, do those things, then eat and drink, and then we'll stand to sing together. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity we've had to be together, to be challenged today. God, thank you for the reminder of the rich mercy that you've lavished on us in and through Jesus, rescuing us and restoring us. Father, I pray that you'd forgive us. Forgive us for moments and instances where we have not displayed, not shown, not given mercy. God, forgive us for when we've just wanted to do the bare minimum and just check the box off. God, we pray that you'd help us to be like the Samaritan. Help us to show mercy to all people for all of life. Help us to be whole life people, valuing people of all ethnicities, all ages, men and women, from the womb to the tomb. God, would you change our lives? And as you change our lives, would you change the world around us? We pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.